Welcome to the Attentive Heart Podcast, where we explore how an integration of mind, body, and spirit make us whole and enable us to become more compassionate to ourselves and to others. I'm your host, John Grabovich. Today, my guest is Steve. So Steve, how about you first tell us a little bit about your background and what occupies most of your time these days? Sure. So I am the founder of a company called Monk Manual. Uh, Prior to that, I was working in nonprofit spaces, largely in a marketing capacity. Uh, I actually uh, had had a long journey to, to get there. Uh, starting with wanting to be the next Walt Disney uh, as a as a kid, which led me to animation school. Uh, then there, I had some interfacing with a lot of different philosophies that kind of came to a head with a whole reevaluation of life, uh, which ultimately led me away from that animation path towards that nonprofit path, and then ultimately to the Monk Manual. Mm. Okay, well, that you said a lot, and and well, there's a lot there that you said in a very short way. So, how about you kind of maybe go back a little bit further? I mean, how, did, where exactly did the spark of let's just say God first uh, come to you? Like, where was that sense of something greater than yourself, or just purpose, or however you want to describe it? Because I mean, the monk manual is all about those things, so that's like kind of the end point here. But how was your experience growing in an awareness? of God and a well-ordered life? There's always, there's always like two answers, right? There's like the mm-hmm. polished answer and then there's just the raw real answer, right? So I was raised in a household uh, that was uh, Catholic, Christian, and um, God was a part of that reality. It was a kind of just there, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it, it was a part of um, my upbringing. But I think because of some of the different models that I had growing up, there was a lot of baggage actually for me around my God image that has taken actually a long time for me to, I don't want to, I don't know if the right word is unpack. It's not even unpack. It's probably untangle uh, to try to maybe redeem the image a bit uh, Mm. because uh, it had a lot of negative ramifications for me. I I, I went through a period, I, I was talking, I alluded to that philosophical break but part of that was actually becoming an agnostic uh for a period of time which at the time felt like a it felt like a purely intellectual uh struggle for me Uh, but i think it was actually emotional as well right there were a lot of layers because one of the things is like if you have an image of god uh that is hard to reconcile with um maybe a sense of, of, of love or who you'd hope God to be or what your heart longs for. Sure. Um, it creates an impasse of sorts. Um, and in my own particular case, I had a bit of kind of a, a supernatural grace, I guess you could say that, that, that helped me break through that. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the, the God piece was always there, but when I look back in hindsight, I sometimes, and this is really nuanced, but I sometimes wonder if even the, God that was in my imagination was actually God at all, or it was just kind of an index card with something else written on it. If that yeah, makes well, sense. 
It, yeah, it makes a lot of sense because I, I, can, I can relate to what you're saying, but but give me some of your early impressions of God because I think this is a big thing. I mean, I, I recognize this with so many different people, especially you know in Catholicism and just in Christianity when we speak of God as Father. I mean, I can't say how much how problematic that is for so many different people because they're thinking, well, you know, my father was such this or such that, and like I just have no good image when I hear of Father, and that affects. An image of God, right? I mean, if we if we keep on saying that God is Father, so that's just maybe one example. But what what was the images that you had or that were presented to you that you ultimately found to be well, this is really problematic, or this is actually hindering my relationship with the divine, if there is a divine, than helping it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. So I'm going to answer that in a very roundabout way. Uh, I spent about a year really trying to understand the spiritual, moral, ethical development of kids. So mm-hmm. like studying psychologists, studying, um, yeah, all those different traditions, trying to understand what's going on. And one of those, um, during that time, I actually spent some time with um, a person who runs a catechesis, the Good Shepherd program mm-hmm. that comes out of the Montessori tradition. And Can, can, can you just people... explain a little bit what that is, so just so we... Yeah, sure. So the the catechesis of the Good Shepherd is it's a catechetical model. It's a a teaching model, formation Mm -hmm. model for children, and how it's a little bit different from a lot of traditional models. Um, It's not really built around, um, I don't know, creating fun experiences for the kids necessarily. It's not really created um, with an assumption that children are blank slates that need to be imprinted upon with like data and information. Uh, It's actually this idea that children are born naturally contemplative. Uh, when, mm. when the woman who's developing the model was doing the work, she'd actually work with children who came from atheistic or agnostic families, no religious background. And she'd noticed this really curious thing that even at a very, very young age, children had this natural intuition for God. And, and when you, she'd go and expose, do like an exposition of some of the different parables um, in the gospels that a lot of children would like intuitively just connect with things, specifically the image of the good shepherd that seemed to be from the younger age group of like three to six, the image that really connected. So, so the model, and there's a lot to it, but to kind of explain maybe in, in a broad sense, what, what's the central tenets of it, uh, it it's really um, firmly based in an idea of creating experiences for the child to explore and in a sense, like contemplate some of these deeper realities and come face to face with it of their own accord. So they might introduce say a, a parable or something. And rather than saying, Hey, this is what this means. They really invite them in to say like, what do you think it was like to be that person? Right. When you, uh, what do you think it was like for that sheep to be found? Right. And in, in trying to get them to engage it and bring out some, some of that wisdom. So the reason I bring that up is because what's really interesting is the woman who created the model, she, she, um, she recognized that from three to six children have a natural, and I'm, I might be off by a year or two, but they have this natural enjoyment of God. Like the, the phase for it mm-hmm. to really be what it can be is built off this idea of the child, uh, not only um, uh, enjoying God, but experiencing being enjoyed by God. Mm. And then from that, it moves into the next phase, which is trying to understand the child then is thinking like, what are the rules of the relationship? And this tracks with even morally, how they're developing as well. They're trying to understand right from wrong. They want to know who the good guys are and the bad guys and these things. And a bit more black and white thinking 
um, but they want to understand the rules of the relationship. So that's what that second phase is about. And then the third phase is is kind of more of that early teen years, and that's more understanding, uh, kind of when you have conflicting goods uh, or competing goods or competing evils, like how do you make sense of that? It's you're thinking more like a philosopher and it's like, now it's how do you subjectively apply these different things to the world? So the reason I bring that up is because one of the things she said that really had an impression on me, uh, this idea was that she said that if you start with the second phase without first, without establishing the first phase, mm -hmm. uh, it's really harmful for the child because they can confuse the face of God. So for me, I think I had a very confused face of God uh, in that, um, so, so I, I don't want to get too much into some of my own, um, I guess, like personal experiences just to honor the people involved with them. But I, I had, um, I definitely had some, uh, some modeling done for me that impacted the image of God of, of, of things like, like absence, anger, um, uh, maybe a sense of, 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 of needing to fit a particular mold in order to feel like I was worthy of experiencing love. Mm. And so I think that carried over to my image of God in that um, I had this image where God was uh, almost like someone who was had like a timer in their hand. I guess there's two ways to put it. Like they had a timer in their hand mm -hmm. and it's like you're living your life and you're running this race and it's like you got to get to the finish line at the right time or else like you're banished forever or worse mm -hmm. than that, like you're just extinguished. You know, I mean, I actually think the banished forever is like not even as intense for me as the thought of like I'm a flame and it just gets snuffed out. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Um, uh, so something like that or or something that's kind of uh, the sort of thing where it's 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 not not vindictive, but a feeling of 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 a God that's constantly trying to catch you, uh, putting your hand in the cookie jar or something of that nature, right? 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 right, right, um, right. Uh, like like very preoccupied with failings, which which like based upon my own um, wounds, based mm -hmm. upon the various things that I probably didn't have solidified maybe maybe the certain brokenness or lack of completeness in various areas some of those things are very difficult to hold right like even even mm -hmm. the idea it's funny even, even the idea of god's justice which is which is a real thing because of the lens through which i was viewing it it was it was almost unbearable to really truly connect with it um there's there's a there's a book i'd read uh when i was doing this um research Mm -hmm. That was explaining that a lot of times, actually, for teenagers, you find a lot of a lot of uh, young people fall away from their faith in their teenage years. And sometimes it's even more the case for people who come from religious households. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason that the author was explaining was because they're increasingly becoming aware of their um, sinfulness, while while at the same time becoming aware of how much uh, maybe God is the opposite like how righteous God is, how almighty God is. And and there's a cognitive dissonance that's so difficult to hold in that, that they either create double lives mm -hmm. or uh, they, they fall away. I think there's a third thing that can happen as well. Um, but th I think that's, that's though I played out all those patterns really. Yeah. Well, I guess the third way is they could double down on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And they just yeah. believe it more. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah. but you know, I mean, and then, you know, anyway, but wow, I mean that that's that's fast. I mean, you gave a, a lot there to to unpack. I mean, so 
when when did you begin this research? Like how and what brought you to do this research? Um, it was it was actually tied to um, a, a role within a job that I was playing at the time or operating within, uh, and uh, it also was a part of my own personal interest. So I've been someone who. I don't know where this comes from. I don't know if it comes from that place of woundedness I was talking about before. Like if it's a, if it's a movement towards security, because I, I do think I can be a little bit more, I know that def for me, my mind can sometimes operate as a defense mechanism. What I mean by that is like a way for me to try and control things and feel safe is to try and understand and understand and kind of intellectualize. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's what it was, but it, but at, at a younger age, like youngish age, I, I remember always being really interested in like, well, what is the real story here? Like, what is, what is the right way to do this? Or like, what's the, what's the truth of this thing? Um, so, so even in high school, uh, I was really interested in psychology. I was really interested in, um, yeah, I, I, different sp spiritual authors, um, even like comparative mythology, things of that nature. I, I was trying to kind of piece together between like philosophy and these different um, ways of understanding the human person, how to, how to really understand myself. So um, both those things came together. Mm -hmm. Wow. And w what did you study when you went to college? Was was this part of that? Was, what did you? Um, no, no. That I, I actually studied animation in college. So oh, okay, okay. Got I it. I had okay. I had studied animation, and then once um, once I had the supernatural experience, uh, I I had kind of this inciting incident, and when that happened, it changed a lot of my values. Uh, maybe not values, but it, it my paradigm for a lot of things shifted fairly mm. radically, and because of that, um. Some things mattered to me a lot less than they did previously. So how how did that come about? Like like what how how does one have a paradigm shift? Yeah, I mean I mean as much as you want to share, I mean because that's, yeah, that yeah, sounds, yeah. that sounds well, pretty well, impactful. I'll, I'll, so yeah, I'll, I'll get I'll get into it. I mean this yeah. is kind of like now like a conversion story, but um, I mean basically what had happened was I I had gotten really into a lot of modern uh, philosophy, mm -hmm. and um, the thing is is with a lot of modern philosophy it's not wrong from, from an argument standpoint. What I mean mm -hmm. by that is like, you can read it, it's surf it, it, uh, at a surface level mm -hmm. and it's extremely compelling. Really the only way to get out of some of the different modern uh, philosophies mm -hmm. is to understand that actually if there's, if there's errors, it's more than premises and that there's a lot of assumed premises that you don't really see in the argument, right? Mm -hmm. But I didn't have the intellectual rigor at that point or, or training to like understand that. Mm -hmm. So what happened is encountering a lot of these different um, philosophies put me in a place where I felt like I couldn't intellectually assent to a belief in God because it felt a bit dishonest. At the same time, I also felt like atheism was equally dishonest um, and potentially a bit like arrogant insofar as it was assuming that uh, like a human mind's capacity could disprove something that like, even at the time I was like, it would be like an ant disproving that like a human exists somewhere else. Or like, it would just not, it didn't resonate for me. Mm -hmm. So what happened is mm -hmm. I, I was, I was actually doing a co-op at the time in New York city. And uh, what happened was I was with my now wife, actually, she came to visit and I was walking around St. Patrick's cathedral mm -hmm. in New York city. 
And I, I, I think this was the first time she had ever been. I think I had went one time before, but I wanted her to see it because it's kind of a landmark type thing. And I remember walking in and thinking to myself, a lot of really cynical thoughts. Um, I remember looking around and thinking, well, you know, this was just constructed. Uh, like people think that this points to to God or some sort of truth, but really it's just like it was a really powerful church that paid people or forced right. people to do this. And right. I had this whole narrative. I was seeing it through a particular lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what happened, I mean, it's pretty simple. I was walking around and all of a sudden I was struck with something that transcended all my senses, all my like felt experience. Um, and the closest thing I could actually relate it to was kind of like a feeling of, of fullness. Like there mm-hmm. was a, like a radical fullness that I felt um, that I, in, like I knew immediately that it was like a drop of divine love of like a larger ocean. Like yeah. it was, it was, a, it was a hundred percent clear um, in, yeah. in, for the first time in my life, every aspect of me was entirely satiated, like entirely satiated. Like there was no, there was nothing missing. Um, And when I experienced that, I was on, I was on the verge of tears and I was like, it was the sort of thing where um, I don't know how to explain this. I'm sure there's like a philosophical way of explaining it, but there's, um, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's like, whoever's listening to this right now, it's like, you're listening, everything's around you. There's a, there's a reality to all that. But sometimes you experience things and it almost feels like realer than real. Mm. Like, like, like when you taste something, it's like, oh, that's real. But, yeah. but this taste was like the, it was, it was like on another level of realness. It was, it was, it was like so profound that mm. it was the most real thing I've ever experienced. Like, like there's no way of actually denying what it was. So what happened is um, I left that experience with a total shift of perspective right mm. um uh, but, uh, before you go any further i mean yeah. like first off did your like now wife recognize something happened to you so to speak at that moment like could you it was it evident like or was it just something very internal and also was it something that you felt was just happening to you or was there something that was also involving everything around you as well does that make sense yeah it was it was um it was it was deeply it was deeply personal so it didn't feel it didn't feel like there was something descending all around me okay it felt like it was happening on the level of my heart like it felt like the okay. core of my being all of a sudden um i don't know like i do think in metaphor but, but this is this is i mean it, it felt like all of a sudden like a, a like a, a bell rang that had never rung before or something right and, okay. and it and it was so clear and profound and real um and and also immediately recognizes like that's the thing that is the thing like that's the the yeah. ultimate thing right yeah. um my my wife noticed that i was like a little off at the time like she saw me and and mm-hmm. noticed but it's also the sort of thing where you don't know if someone's like having a stomach ache or something or they're just <laughs> okay. thinking about something or this or that. Right. Okay. So she didn't really know. I immediately explained it to her. And what's really funny is actually her reaction was like, and this was what was really interesting for me is I had this experience and even now I'm explaining it, but mm-hmm. like I'm a hundred percent certain I can't, it's, it's a very, um, uh, 
there's so much lost in the explanation. Like, like I can't, right. I don't actually have the language to communicate yes. it. So it's like, yes. it's like me describing, like, it's like if, if people have only ever seen a, a stick figure drawing of a horse and I'm like, oh, it's a horse. And you're like, yeah, I know that. And you think of that stick figure in your mind, like that stick figure is not the horse, right? right. And right. I can't communicate the horse beyond, <laughs> yeah. I just can't communicate it. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, what you're saying to me is like kind of almost like my experience with dreaming. Like I know what's happening, at least as I'm perceiving it, is real and makes sense. I cannot explain it at all when I would wake up really actually what – I mean sometimes you can explain certain things. But there, there's certain types of dreams where it's beyond words. I think it just kind of makes you realize how limiting language is. I mean we think it's like, oh, there's a word for everything. Well, actually there, there's not. <laughs> there's just simply not. Uh, there, there's some certain things that that just cannot be described because – words and of themselves are, are limiting, right? I mean, at least yeah. that's the, the sense I'm, I'm kind of picking up here. But all right, so the paradigm shift. Yeah. So what yeah, was so that? I, 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 had, I had this uh, this big paradigm shift where essentially what happened is after I experienced that, um, I just came to an extremely rational conclusion that, well, that's like all that really matters. Like all these other things are just, maybe like strategies to that like the, like everything else is kind of like everything in some ways is it felt like to me was in some ways vanity not like how do i look but it just right. didn't really matter all that much and mm -hmm. i really felt like like it would be worth everything to just like go and experience that again or to like actually have that like absolutely i like but this is the thing is there was nothing virtuous about me like making that decision or assessment like right. it was just pure math like I'm a hundred percent certain like that if anyone <laughs> experienced yeah. that, right. That's, that's what they, that's where they would end up. Uh, yeah. it, it, Cause it's just, it's just so clear. Like it's, 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 it's so clear, right. It's like mm. eating some of that's extremely delicious that anyone would think is delicious. It's like, yeah, of course this, this is delicious. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, so, 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 so yeah, so I had, I had this paradigm shift. That's what put me, uh, I, I actually went back to, this was in the spring. I, I had one more year. And it was funny because I am um, up until that point, I had not been involved at all in any of like the Christian or Catholic groups on campus. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I came back, I became like extremely involved, involved. Like I, I uh -huh. was, I like, I came out of the woodwork. I wasn't even involved in the community. And all of a sudden I was like the president of like the Newman center. I was like the representative for like the interfaith, like dialogue. Like I was so obnoxious probably actually. Um, <laughs> what university uh, was this by the way? This is it. It was an RIT. It's a, um, a lot of it's actually more engineering, but things, animations okay. tied to, they had Kodak in Rochester, right? So yeah. they had a world-class photo program. That's so they have kind of a whole arts offshoot off of that. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, so then practically speaking, how did you start to live your life differently? I mean, other than getting involved in say church related stuff, I mean, and you were saying that nothing else seemed to really matter, matter other than how you had this experience and what you kind of felt within that. So then how does that translate into day-to-day -day living, at least for you at that point? It's funny, actually, I, you know, I, when I, when I think about, when I think about my own life, I feel like I have I have certain values or ideals and I usually come to those first intellectually and then it takes my life a little bit of time to catch up to that. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like it's, it's hard to fully inhabit things the way we would think it's like old habits die hard. So what's funny is actually prior to that, I, I was like very involved in a partying scene. Like a lot of the people I was around, like we would party a lot. 
sure. we'd have a lot of parties at our, our place. So yeah. there was this really funny juxtaposition where a lot of that was still going on. I mean, it would be the sort of thing where there'd be like a party at our apartment and I'd be yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go and like read the Bible, like in my like room and people would be like <laughs> yeah. in there drinking and I just be, and, 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 and I was kind of straddling right. those two worlds a bit sin right. sincerely, but I don't think I actually knew um, it, it, and it didn't feel like at the time, actually, what was the, I've come to believe that actually like God is extremely gentle, right? And like, if you think of St. Peter, for example, this was something that just occurred to me uh, maybe a year or so ago. There's a story of like, um, I think it, it's often referred to under these, like, um, uh, this idea of like Colvatus where the, I don't know if this is apocryphal or what it is, but, mm -hmm. but as, as, um, I think as St. Peter was leaving, um, I don't know if it was Rome or where he was leaving. Jesus asked him, showed up and said, like, Quo Vadis, like, where are you going? Right. And then he went back to go get martyred, right? And right. I remember, like, thinking about that early in my spiritual journey and thinking, like, oh, well, I need to go and uh, really like, put it all out there and, like, sacrifice to the fullest extent. Because when you're, like, a revert or a convert, you're usually, like, super fiery, right? Yeah. And it's, it's actually very pure, but it's also not... Um, it's like a, it's like a weed that grows really fast with right. like very little roots, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and, uh, and and so, um, but but what's funny is like I just realized in that story after Jesus died, it was like thirty-five years or something before that happened, right? So you have this guy walking around for thirty-five years before. It, I I just think that there's always a gentle process. So after after my own, after I had that experience, it didn't feel like there was a really intense pressure around. Um, everything changing it was actually more me wanting to change and orient things around what seemed to be going to move me closer to maybe that experience that i had in new york city like like how how could i engineer my life more fully in that direction mm -hmm. um you know what's funny is you're asking questions they're very simple but they're opening up so many things for me some of which that's i okay. haven't considered so i'm, that, I'm probably fine. being a bit verbose no, that, that's okay. I, you, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I appreciate that. It's at least opening something up. Um, yeah, I mean, so how long did you straddle the two worlds, so to speak? Or is that the best way to kind of say what was going on, where you kind of felt like you had to seek a certain type of existence that could kind of maybe sustain the St. Patrick's experience versus, you know, still doing the things that you did prior to that experience in St. Patrick's. I mean, did that, did that straddling take a long time? Did you just keep on going back and forth between those two types of uh, worlds, if you can call that? Or, I mean, like, how did this all kind of somehow get integrated? Yeah, so I'm, gonna, I'm going to compact okay. basically 10 years of my spiritual life. Wow. What really happened is I moved out of that, and I had this image of, of – um, I would have I would have seen God as loving, but what loving looked like to me was kind of cold, kind mm. of distant, um, kind of um, kind of cold, kind of distant, and in kind of trying to catch you in the act of doing something wrong. So a lot of my experience, it was it was the energy that was driving me mm -hmm. was fear. And a lot of even my spiritual experience was very performative for probably i don't know the exact timeline but i would say like eight to ten years after that experience in in, in new york mm -hmm. so what's interesting is i actually 
I actually found that during that time, there were a number of, I don't know, bad ha habits or like behaviors that I, I didn't love that were really hard to root out. Um, and I had this strange tension where it was like, I was, um, it, maybe it's like what St. Paul would say of like, I don't do the things that I, I want to do, but I, I do the things I don't want to do. And yeah, there, there was that sort of dynamic taking place. Uh, and, and so I would, I would say that there was always a really strong tension up until the point where at a certain point I recognized that a lot of my spiritual life was being driven by fear and there's kind of a bit of a hole poked in that insofar as like what I what I experienced in New York was not that really like it didn't seem to connect it, there, there was something that, that just felt like untenable about about the way I was at least experiencing God and so I made this decision I'm not going to focus on like how how quote unquote bad I am or I'm not going to focus on um I'm not going to try and be driven by like a fear-based energy. Mm -hmm. What I'm going to try and do instead is just really focus on God's love for me. Mm. So really try and focus on letting in the love of God essentially. Yeah. And what what happened then is actually incredible because it felt risky at the time. Like that felt almost not correct. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it, it felt like, um, yeah, it felt kind of high risk to just like accept that, to just accept that, like, God loved me. Right. Yeah. And um, in apart from like my like with my failings, like mm -hmm. uh, in a part in apart from me producing any particular thing. Um, and um, and when I did that, though, all these things just started like falling away. Like it was it was it was really the craziest thing, like a lot of the things I would be struggling with. I just wasn't struggling with them as much. And, and I, I saw a lot of like virtue. Like I, I feel like mm. I look back and this is again, like this is just one guy telling his own story. I look back and I actually see how a lot of my, I feel like a lot of the things I did within my faith were, were kind of performative. Mm -hmm. If not for others then for like God, but they were, they were kind of like ego driven. It was like me trying to, it was like me trying to make sure like I, I was the first person off the boat of the Titanic, right? Where it's like I, I was trying to make sure that I was like the good holy guy. And like the way I even like looked at other people, I was like really judgmental. And but after after the shift, I I actually saw a lot of like virtue and actually felt like for the first time I really was truly actually compassionate and like loved other people because I was no longer spending so much energy trying to protect myself. Right. Uh, in trying to prove myself. And then what ended up happening is a lot of, like I actually legitimately did become a much better person. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, so so in an ironic way, it actually was the, the path that I, I needed. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Attentive Heart Podcast. We hope that you were able to find it helpful in your spiritual journey and practice. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Sunday to Sunday Productions and The Witness Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and share it with friends.